This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. A little science and technology for you this morning, and we're going to start with a question. Wouldn't it be great if you could get a machine or a computer to do something for you just by thinking about it? It's actually called a brain-machine interface, and yes, it is something that researchers are working on. So how could we use this? And most importantly, how close are we to doing this? Well, Dr. Tom Carlson is a professor of assistive robotics and vice dean for the Faculty of Medical Sciences at the University College of London and joins us now. Good morning. Thank you for being here. Good morning, Simi. Thank you for having me on your show. Well, this, this sounds like something out of a science fiction movie, Dr. Carlson. Where would we use this? Yeah, well, I guess often uh, fiction does lead the real science, so we get lots of inspiration from the movies. Um, but I think really uh, there's a lot of uh, applications in rehabilitation, helping people to recover function that they've lost um, as assistive technologies for, for people that are not going to recover that function, but they might be able to control uh, wheelchairs or prosthetic limbs and things by, by thinking. Um, and perhaps also more widestream in the gaming industry, offering new and exciting ways of interacting with your computers. Okay, so what does it take? How do you, how do, you do this? Great. Well, so our brains are full of uh, neurons. Uh, and when we're thinking about doing things, they're talking to each other. And when one neuron talks to another, there's a little spike of uh, electric impulse inside the brain. Um, and millions of these are needed to, to make your arms move or, or to think about various things. And we can put then uh, electrodes on the, the surface of your, your scalp, so on your head, and they can detect these tiny little currents going on inside your brain. And when you're thinking about different thoughts, for example, thinking about moving your right hand, you get a very different pattern of electrical activity in your brain compared with if you're thinking about moving your left hand. Um, so then if we can dis distinguish using machine learning or artificial intelligence between these different patterns of electrical activity in the brain, then we can map these two commands. For example, you can think about moving your right hand to tell a wheelchair to turn to the right, and you could think about moving your left hand to tell a wheelchair to move to the left. Okay, I'm fascinated by this because I remember watching a documentary about this once, and here's my question to you is, does our brain work like that? Do we think about moving our hand before we move our hand, or do we just do it instinctually? Like, I don't say I'm going to move my hand right now. So how do we translate that? So yeah, you have lots of different types of, uh, of motion planning that goes on. So some of the more complex movements you will actually think about in the pre-motor cortex of your brain, you'll come up with a plan and then the motor cortex will turn that into motions that it wants your body to perform. And then those will be sent down the motor neurons, down your spine to your muscles to tell them what to do. But then we have other sorts of movements as well, reflexes, which uh, occur 
from the outside world um, uh, as a reaction to an external stimulus, for example, where your arm will move, but without your brain having to think about it, it'll be just going straight through the spinal circuitry. And then for complex movements, like uh, concert pianists, for example, we hear a lot about muscle memory as well. So you're not uh, in real time thinking about moving each individual muscle of, of the finger, but you have this kind of orchestrated um, ensemble of motions that are all encoded into into one thought, for example. Right. So when you say encoded, does that mean you have to code all of that movement for a machine? Uh, or at some point, does is there a way to just be able to tell the machine to do it? Yeah. So, so what we want from a, a human user perspective is that you think about something fairly natural. So as I said, thinking about moving your, your left hand or your right hand is a very good uh, input for somebody who is paralyzed and cannot actually move their hands anymore, but their brain can still think about doing it. And then the challenge is that we then use something like machine learning in order to get lots of examples of somebody thinking about moving their right hand. And we can learn using machine learning this uh, pattern of activity. So we don't have to specifically manually code it for every individual movement, but you do have to go through a training process so that the computer can understand uh, your specific brain activity. Right. How close are we to this? So in the lab, we do this all the time. My students are working on it right now. Um, we've got uh, some uh, clinical trials that are going on around the world. Um, colleagues are working at, at different levels. Um, and there are some commercial systems that are out there, but we've still got big challenges, I think, in terms of improving the accuracy and the reliability um, to be using this as a kind of everyday way of, of interacting. Right. But I could imagine that for people who do have, you know, prosthetic limbs or need some help or assistive technologies, this is this is a life changer. It could be. Um, there are limitations. So when we're looking at brain activity from uh, a kind of non-invasive uh, way that I use, looking at electrodes placed on the head, this is kind of rather like watching a, a football match from a helicopter. So you, if you're watching a football match from a helicopter, you might be able to see roughly where the players are. You might be able to guess where the ball is, but you're unlikely to be able to see the ball itself. And so we, we're kind of looking at the activity of all these neurons in the brain, we can have an idea of kind of the, the area of activity, the hand, for example, that is, is being thought about, but we can't tell the detailed motion that you're, you're trying to make. Um, if you go closer down, so if you land that helicopter and you're close down uh, on the ground and seeing what's happening in the football match, then you can see the ball. And so uh, if people are willing to have electrodes placed inside the brain in a, a more invasive way, then we get closer to those neurons and we can decode um, more fine movements. Dr. Carlson, is this work that is happening all over the world or are there, you know, are you specialized in this? Are there a lot of people working on this? I'd love to say I'm the only person specialised in this, but actually, you know, it's, it's like all science. There's a lot of uh, teamwork and people working at, at different levels. So uh, there's some good work in, in the uh, US. There's a, a lot of work on the very invasive work going on there. Things like the Utah Array have been around for a long time. In Europe, we've got things like the WeMagine uh, device uh, with a, a big consortium of people working together. And that's sort of semi-invasive. It doesn't penetrate the brain, but it, it just sits on top of the brain. Um, and 
and then I I work a lot with this non-invasive stuff, mostly because my grad students don't want me poking things inside the brain. Um, but <laughs> I can I think, see why. Yeah, that might be a problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, I think, you know, depending on uh, if you've got somebody that doesn't um, have the option for recovering long term, then perhaps they're more willing to go down the, the invasive route. Obviously, there are risks with any kind of surgery and, and putting things in the brain. Um, but we do this routinely for things like deep brain stimulation for, for controlling Parkinson's disease. Um, equally, people that maybe have a stroke and want to use this um, as part of their recovery, they're only going to be using the device temporarily. So they probably prefer something that's not going to be embedded inside the brain and, and a less invasive approach might be better for them. Oh, it's so interesting to learn about this. Dr. Carlson, thanks for your time this morning. No problem. Thanks for having me on your show. That's Dr. Tom Carlson, a professor of assistive robotics and vice dean for the Faculty of Medical Sciences at the University College of London. And they are working on, it's called a brain-machine interface. So you would think it, the machine would do it. You wouldn't actually have to say it, type it, tell it or anything like that, you would just think it. And we are, as you heard, closer to it than you might have imagined.